This is the Nordic Asia podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Kenneth Bonilson. I'm an associate professor of social anthropology in Oslo and also the coordinator of the Norwegian Network for Asian Studies. I'm here today with a trio of South Asianists all based in Oslo. With me is Guron Samuelsen, postdoctoral fellow at the Norwegian School of Theology, Religion and Society. Nilad Vicherji, a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Development and the Environment. And Aril Engelsen-Rood, professor at the Department of Culture Studies and Oriental Languages, also in Oslo. Welcome to all of you and thank you for joining us. This trio are the authors of a recent op-ed published on asia.no on the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi's remarkable recent change of style and appearance. And this change of style and appearance in the Indian Prime Minister is also the theme of our conversation today. So, Guru Samuelsen, what has happened to Modi's appearance over the past six months or so? How does he appear to the Indian public when you see him today? Well, first, I want to make it clear to those of our listeners who may not be following Indian politics closely that this is not just the appearance of any politician. In the general elections of 2014 and 2019, we saw unprecedented levels of personalization where the successful electoral campaigns of the Bharatiya Janata Party revolved almost entirely around the figure of Narendra Modi. And so his face was seemingly everywhere in the public sphere, in newspaper ads, on social media, on large roadside hoardings. And in his electoral rallies, many in the audience wore rubber masks with his face on them. And so this heavy projection of his name and face has continued also after the elections. And there are many aspects to this personalization of power. But what is particularly relevant to the conversation we're having today is the fact that the electoral promises and the political visions that Indians voted for in these two elections are inseparable today from the iconography of his face as sort of the um, prime symbol of brand Modi. But the contents of this brand appears to be somewhat adaptable. And from 2007 onwards, Modi built an image as the CEO of Gujarat, the state where he was chief minister. And this is related to the Gujarat model of development. This image is dapple and sophisticated, but no-nonsense persona, someone who means business. And this image continued into the campaign for the 2014 national election, where he embodied the new India, an economic powerhouse based on development. And this is also an image that he donned through especially the first three years of his reign, where he spent a lot of time abroad, negotiated trade deals and summits and so on. Over the past year, however, Modi has let his beard and hair grow quite long, something that has completely altered the immediate association that his image creates. And since his image is such a strong brand, we believe that there is good reason to take note of this change. So it's evident from what you say now that Modi is indeed quite preoccupied with cultivating a particular kind of uh, public image. 
not only at this time, but throughout his career, through the way he dresses and through facial hair in the most recent case. So evidently looks matter in Indian politics, but that in itself is perhaps not unusual. I mean, quite many Indian politicians try to go to great lengths to communicate their political message through address, comportment and ways of acting and, and speaking. Could you give us some more examples of this to broaden the scope a bit? Perhaps, uh, Niladri, I could ask you for an example first. Well, yeah, I mean, when it comes to dresses and appearances and usage of uh, symbolism, it is quite significant. And the use of appearance and image of politician has always been very strong in Indian politics. One can even date back to this so-called radical transformation of a very neatly dressed lawyer, Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi, or whom we often refer to as Mahatma Gandhi, from his days in London as a barrister and then uh, thereafter in South Africa, from where he radically transformed into the so-called Mahatma or the great soul, or who was also referred to by Churchill as the half-naked Indian fakir, draped only in kind of a homespun khadi loincloth walking stick in hand. Now, Gandhi, in his communication with the masses, always made effective use of both symbols and symbolic language. He used symbols such as salt, to give one example, during the civil disobedience movement in the 1930s, or his use of charka, or the spinning wheel, in order to mobilize the masses against both the colonial and local configurations of power. Gandhi used the clothing of the peasantry, as we have popularly seen in his most photos, as kind of an another powerful symbolic act to identify with the poor peasants in India. For Gandhi, I think there was a moral scale in dressing down from the so-called three-piece suit, which he wore during his practice as a barrister. His radical transformation and his symbolism of attire involved the moral process of becoming a bare body clad with the minimum clothing, just like the peasants. I mean, we also have many examples from the post-colonial period where also we have seen many politicians have similarly gone to great lengths to style themselves as the common people. Well, then it would be interesting to bring up an example of someone who might be said to represent in many ways the common people, but who chose a different approach and I'm thinking now of uh, Mayavati, the leader of the Bahujan Samaj party and former four-time chief minister of Uttar Pradesh. Now, as a Dalit, a leader of a Dalit party and a woman at that, when Mayavati first became chief minister of this vast Indian state, it was described as a democratic miracle. Particularly during her full term in office from 2007 to 2012, the aesthetics and the symbolism of her reign got massive attention, and it was also heavily criticized. And before the coming of Narendra Modi, I think she was perhaps the contemporary politician whose figure, whose physical appearance was most intensely replicated in public spaces, as the UP government installed thousands of her statues across the state. Now, in her iconographic appearance, Mayavati has cropped hair. She wears a plain shalwar kameez, a loose dress and loose trousers, and she always carries a handbag. Now, Mayavati, I said she was heavily criticized, and what she was most infamous for was her public displays of wealth, diamonds, expensive cars, 
and she was being offered garlands made from thousand rupee notes by her party men on stage. And so there is this assertion here that even as a Dalit, even as someone from a poor background, it's possible to make it. But I think there is also a more subtly assertive side to her public figure in iconography. She always retained a simple and straightforward way of speaking. And her rejection of the sari, I think, is a sign of rejecting proper upper caste form of femininity. And she also has this handbag, which is globally, I think, as well, recognized as the ultimate symbol of a woman in power. Okay, so there's several very interesting politicians all over India doing precisely the kind of thing that Mayawati does and that Guru describes. One which has a different style is Mamata Banerjee in Calcutta, in West Bengal, who's very successful in terms of mobilizing large portions of the electorate for her own political party. I mean, it's largely her party. She embodies that party, Trinamool Congress. And it's, a, it's really sort of remarkable. Her style is something that It's very Bengali. It's very sort of local. It doesn't fly really outside Bengali. She's from lower middle class background. Her style is that of a lower middle class housewife, very simple sari, and her famous Hawaii chapels. You know, cheap. They're cheap, right? And she walks around in these chapels. She walks a lot. And also she's a, which again sort of resonates very well with the Bengali. She's an author. She writes books and poems and she's a painter, but she maintains this very frugal lifestyle. She lives in a very simple house in South Kata and there's not a whole lot of mention. She really has successfully cultivated this image of a frugal, very down-to-earth woman And there's not a whole lot of mention of her very successful brothers and her very successful and fabulously wealthy nephew. But that style, that style resonates with her voters who are, you know, perfectly ordinary Bengalis, urban, rural, decent, hardworking. And that her style, her dress, her way of being, her words, her everything, her mannerisms really reflect that kind of voter to whom she appeals. So in that sense, nothing particularly new about Modi uh, using his own style and appearance to position himself. But let's get back to Modi that we had started with. And Guru, when we began, you mentioned this image he has had as a CEO, first of his home state of Gujarat and then later uh, of all of India, as one of the many faces he's worn during his time in power in Delhi. I mean, he's worn other masks, if you like, during these last uh, seven years. Some of you might recall during his first election campaign back in 2014, when he suddenly declared himself to be simply a, a chaiwala, a tea salesman. Or later during the more recent campaign, when he positioned himself as India's chokidar or watchman, if you like. Niladri, what explains some of these many shifts in Modi's image and outward appearance? Well, to begin with, Modi's use of the metaphor of a chaiwala or a petty tea seller was actually used in his initial public political speeches before the Indian general election of 2014. But this initial usage of being a petty tea seller was mainly projected as a kind of a critique of the dynastic politics of the Gandhi family within the Congress party. 
His initial reference was that unlike the dynastic hegemony of the Gandhi family of the Congress party, whereby no one else can be elevated to lead apart from the family of the Gandhis, whereby in Bharatiya Janata Party, based on his or her diligence and hard work, even a petty tea seller from a very mere background can be promoted to become a prime ministerial candidate. But this whole tea seller anecdote quickly became integral to both Modi and BJP's political speeches in the last phase of the run-up phase to the election in 2014. It happened when one of the veteran Congress member, Manishankar Ayer, actually made a kind of a contentious remark towards Modi's self-reference as a tea seller. Now, it's important because Ayer's comment was actually recorded and broadcasted publicly, whereby he, while denouncing Modi as a credible candidate for the prime ministerial position, he made a somewhat insinuating remark that while Modi will never ever become the prime minister of this country, he was however welcome to sell tea within the Congress party enclave and that Ayer would also find a place for Modi to to sell the tea. Now, the, the problem was that while Ayer never actually recorded to have addressed Modi as a tea seller, which is, by the way, a kind of a derogatory remark in this case, to refer to his more modest background as a, a deterrent towards becoming the prime ministerial candidate, BJP and more specifically Modi was extremely quick to resent this comment of Ayer, uh, Manishankar Ayer, and began an immediate counterattack on Congress that lasted for the rest of the election campaign in 2014 and even thereafter also, hitting the Congress as a party of the elites of upper caste and upper class where there was absolutely no scope and hope for the ordinary working class people of India. Modi even went to the extent of mobilizing his party workers to start a whole campaign to connect with the voters One of the interesting things that happened in the autumn of 2018, there was a series of terrorist attacks, incursions from the Pakistani side across the border. The situation at that time was that India was heading towards an election and the economy was not doing too well. And so this whole CEO image that Modi had cultivated so far didn't really attract voters all that much. And it looked definitely as if Modi was going to lose but then these terrorist attacks and the border crossings from Pakistan, or at least that was alleged, and India immediately responded with firearms, jets flying across the border into Pakistan and bombing what they thought or they claimed were substantial targets, but what the Pakistanis claimed was just a mountainside. But the thing is that it allowed Modi to take on a new persona, to change his garb from being the CEO to becoming the guard and the guardian of India, the term that was used and was used very extensively until the election in May the following year was that of Chokidar. The Chokidar is the guard. You know, he's the one who guards your gate in India. And every housing estate and every rich person has its own Chokidar. It's an old thing. The Chokidar should be there. And it's a sign of you being protected and your things and wealth and family are protected, for instance, at night against malevolent forces. And he was able to use this garb 
quite explicitly mobilizing nationalist forces, nationalist sentiments, anti-Pakistani sentiments throughout that spring. And he did it successfully enough to win by a landslide, even though the economy was not doing well. So this is part of the point of the article that we originally wrote, that Modi is cultivating different personas, and these can be used at different opportunities. So you mentioned now the eventual, perhaps if not failure, then at least somewhat lower credibility of the CEO image, and then this sudden emergence of Modi as the chokidar. But even that image now also stands severely dented. Why is this the case? Well, Not only has the economy continued to plummet, and this is now developing into a full-blown economic crisis. And as those who have been able to retain a sense of humor in this comment, the only sign of growth in India today is exactly in the prime ministerial beard. Moreover, 2020 also started out with a deadly attack on Indian troops by Chinese forces in Ladakh. So there is a growing insecurity along the borders, both then against Pakistan, as Aril laid out, and also against China. And particularly against China, there is not so much confidence to be read on the Indian side. And then, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic made its entry and made all of this worse. And India has been very harshly afflicted. The virus has caused over 150,000 deaths. And also the government's handling of the pandemic has not been coherent with the sort of protective Chokidar image. When the first lockdown was implemented, we saw photos and videos of millions of poor labor migrants who have moved from poor villages in the countryside into the big cities and who were now left to fend for themselves and walk as public transport was shut down back to their villages, back to their homes, very often along very long distances. And close to a thousand migrants died before they could reach their homes. This went on for weeks. And I think this also seriously undermined Modi's image as you know, the, the protector and the father of the people. So clearly this is the backdrop against which we must understand this more recent Mago. And as you point out in the article we've mentioned a few times, this new long white beard has invited quite a few comparisons. I mean, Modi has been compared with Santa Claus, with Albus Dumbledore from the Harry Potter series, with the Mughal Emperor Babur, and more recently the famous Bengali poet Rabindranath Tagore. But as you also point out in the article, a more serious approach to making sense of Modi's new image would have to start from cultural meaning of beard and long hair. From such a perspective, Niladri, what can we make of Modi's new look? So as you rightly pointed out, basically from around July, August 2020 onwards, especially after August 2020, when Modi was seen chanting Sanskrit slokas while laying the foundation stone of the Hindu temple, Rama temple, in the place where the Muslim mosque was violently demolished in 1992. It was very evident that Modi's hair and beard had grown substantially to the extent that, as you pointed out, that he was started to be compared with various fictional and non-fictional characters. But yeah, I mean, there is another serious approach that one can think from the cultural meaning of the beard and the long hair. So one interpretation is that the Modi's new look is actually a cultural representation of a coping mechanism 
Now, this is something that Christopher Oldstone Moore, who was the author of a book called Of Beards and Men, The Revealing History of Facial Hair, he kind of introduces this term called the crisis beard. Now, here, growing a beard defines a moment when a man foregoes shaving during a crisis to show those around him that he's fully engaged in resolving the crisis. Now, this works, according to Oldstone Moore, because beards are typically associated with masculinity, toughness, and natural strength. Now, from this perspective, we might thus see Modi's beard as a kind of a crisis beard or COVID beard that speaks to the need for enduring the struggle and challenging the pandemic. As a kind of a corollary, the beard also resonates. This crisis beard or the COVID beard also resonates with the millions of working class Indians, many of whom are actually seen growing the so-called crisis or stress beard. This is also reflected in Modi's insistence of using this kind of a cotton home domestic towel as kind of a face cover during the public appearances on TV and instead of any proper recommended surgical face masks. Now, why gamcha? Because, or this cotton towel, and why was he insisting on that thing? Well, one interpretation is that the gamcha or the cotton towel is actually commonly used as a face cover across rural India to protect the peasants and the working class people from the dust and the sun. So in this reading, Modi's long beard and hair actually represent the mental strength and toughness of an alpha male leader who faces the crisis of an ongoing pandemic on behalf of the 1.3 billion people of India, while staying at the same time a simple and humble Indian, if you might say a chaiwala. And according to that logic, the beard will go when the crisis is over. This is a very, very interesting and also compelling interpretation of the current makeup of the Prime Minister. But as you also point out, while infection and death rates have fallen and are falling in India, the beard has not fallen that remains firmly in place and even continues to grow. So this alpha male explanation might not do all the explanatory work that we want it to do. Arild, can we add even even more layers to our understanding of what's going on with Modi? So that was the one of the main points of the article that we wrote. The thing with Modi's beard is that it's groomed. It's long, it's white, it's beautiful, it's, it's groomed. It's not sort of the ruffian. He hasn't been out, you know, working hard and not being able to shave. I mean, he looks groomed still. I think one of the interesting things here to note is that Modi has been good, clever. I mean, he's a consummate politician at reading the mood of the nation and also preparing his message. So our argument here is that he is preparing his new message for the next election. So he's doing something to his persona that enables him to have a different message for the next election than for the two previous ones. In first, he was the CEO. In the second, he's the Chokida. Now, in the third national election that may or may not re-elect him, but he will certainly try, he's preparing to be something else. Now, that situation may arise or it may not arise, depending on circumstances. What it potentially looks as if he's preparing for is the look of a Rajashri, a sage king. So the idea here that we sort of 
elaborate a bit on in this article is that there are different idioms of political styles in India. And this is from an article written by a famous political scientist, a British political scientist in the 60s, in which he talks about three idioms of Indian politics. And the first idiom is that of the traditional leader. The second is that of the modern leader. So you have, of course, you know, Nehru as the modern leader. And then you have the saintly idiom. Gandhi, of course, as the prime example from the 60s at least. But you have also had several after that. And including in the currently ruling BJP, you have had people who have sort of cultivated a saintly image. They come with a certain scriptural knowledge or philosophical baggage and become politicians and famous on that ground. I think one of the things that with Gandhi that we tend to overlook because we focus so much on his scriptures and his philosophy is that he was also a hard-nosed organizer, right? He organized people and he took difficult decisions and made difficult choices throughout his career as a politician. And he was not a philosopher, right? He was a lawyer. He was a lawyer turned politician who made use of a particular kind of imagery, words, style, dress. Now, the suggestion is that Modi is preparing for himself something similar. The role of the sage, the wise man who is also ruling the country. This is very interesting. That also raises a question about timing, in a sense. I mean, the next national election is three years away, if not more. So why now, we might ask? Why is he undergoing such a rather striking change already at this time, Guru Samuelson? Well, I would second Ardil's suggestion that Modi is a man who thinks ahead. He can see now that given the havoc that COVID-19 has wrecked on the economy, as we mentioned earlier, it doesn't look like a major recovery is on the cards in that area. And also the Indian army is unlikely to make much headway against the Chinese. And so what we know right now is that both of these established tropes, images, uh, as a successful CEO or the determined gatekeeper or chokidar, they are both, they might be difficult. They might not be tenable for Modi to use as we move towards the 2024 election. And so that's what we believe to be the, um, the most plausible explanation behind the growing hair and the growing beard that he is building up to this Raja Shri image. And within the Hindu philosophical tradition, this particular political imagery would also allow Modi and to project the quite significant failures and weaknesses that have appeared during his regime to be seen as sort of small bumps on the road. And the road then leads to the Ram Raja. This is the Hindutva, the ultimate society that exists in the imagination of the Hindu nationalists. And that all of these, the pandemic, the economy and so on, can be smaller difficulties that Modi had to face on the way. And when we consider the increasing hold of the Hindu hegemony in India these days, which is, you know, by the day developing, and the fact that Ram Temple mentioned in the beginning here is nearing completion, we believe that the Saj King may well emerge victorious in the near future. 
Guyos Hamilton, Nilad Reed Chatterjee, and Ariel Engelson Root, thank you so much for joining us and shedding new light on the ongoing image makeover of the Indian Prime Minister. My name is Kenneth Bonelson, and thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.